Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 20. And tonight I'm going to preach from uh, that short passage um, um, that tells us about um, one of the great miracles, a great miracle in, in the book of Acts, uh, raising of Eutychus from the dead. And so quite an interesting story, especially in the vivid way that Luke narrates it for us. Um, he tells us the circumstances of um, and the, the situation that surrounded Eutychus's death. They had been in a, a, I don't know if you'd call it a church service, but they'd been in a church meeting. They'd been meeting uh, Paul on his missionary journeys, uh, visiting this church that he uh, had no doubt um, planted at some point, and Paul had, had visited to to instruct them, to give them some final instructions because he was, he was leaving them soon. And um, while he was, because he wasn't going to see, be seeing them for a while, of course, um, Paul was, was preaching for quite a long time. Again, call it preaching, you might call it preaching. There's a mixture of those things, I'm sure, a bit, bit sermonic part of it just... Um, pouring his heart out to them and giving them this important instruction um, as to the early church. But it was such a long um, time speaking um, that uh, one of the guys who was listening to him, a young boy, perhaps a, a teenager, uh, fell asleep from the third floor. Uh, they were in an upper room. He fell asleep, deep sleep, fell down. Tragic. You know, we... we, we, we Maybe laugh about it now because we're reading it in the passage, but sure they weren't laughing and um, the shock and everything. And um, he, he was raised from the dead when, when Paul goes down to him and um, the Lord works a miracle. Miracle similar to how um, I preached about Elisha raising the dead actually um, on New Year's Eve. And it was a similar way. There's similarities in how Elisha resuscitated this, this child or how. Resurrection was worked for Elisha, you know, the embracing of the child. Uh, Paul uh, embraced the child and he received his life back in him. Um, uh, while I was preparing the sermon, I listened to a few, few other sermons on, on the passage. I don't think I'd ever listened to a sermon on, on the passage before. So I, I listened to a few. And in a number of those sermons, I kept on hearing the, the same question recurring, and which was, why is this story here? Why does... Luke tell us a story, especially in the vivid way he does. Why does he, why does he feel the need to tell us this about a child that falls asleep and is raised from the dead? And, you know, and in a sense, I think they were more asking, why is this useful to us? Why would this passage be here? Because to me, it was fairly obvious why, why Luke records this. Of course, he's recording Paul's missionary journey. Um, but I think the reason why Luke records this is because of the nature of the miracle. A, a, a boy was raised back to life. So it's almost like Luke is recording the acts of God and acts of Jesus Christ in the early church through primarily the ministry of the apostles. And Luke says, you know, there was a time when we actually saw the dead raised back to life. I mean, he tells you something about the nature of miracles in the early church. They were not a matter of course, and certainly not um, the raising of the dead. It wasn't something that God did 
every day. It was a miracle. It was astounding. And there are times in the Bible, in the New Testament, when the Bible does record, you know, Peter had worked a miracle of, of resurrection on, on Dorcas. But it wasn't normative in the slightest. It was unique, distinct displays of Christ's power in his church. And Luke is in awe of it and records it as uh, an encouragement to the people of God of the resurrecting power of Christ among them. Um, and that's why. It's just because this is a great miracle. It's a great miracle of a man being raised from the dead. There's no need to spiritualize it when we apply it. And I saw some, some I, I did listen to some, um, some spiritualizing of the text, and I, I did consider, some of them were so good that I did consider maybe I should, I should borrow this. Um, you know, but there's no need to spiritualize the text. Eutychus is not symbolic of, you know, those who are spiritually asleep and need to be reawoken. And so he's listened to the sermon and you fall asleep and make sure you're not asleep spiritually. Um, he's not symbolic of that. He's not symbolic of when you fall deeply in this world. Um, no matter how far you fall, God will be there to embrace you and raise you up. This, that's comforting. And it's, a, it's a really nice thing to say. But it's not what Luke is saying. If Luke wanted to tell you that, he would say that. Luke is telling you that a, a guy died by falling down from a number of floors. And he was raised to life, raised back to life. That's what Luke is telling us, to recognize that there was this display of resurrection power in the life of the church. And for us, then, never to forget that and never to stop longing for the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we look at this, we look at that that way and learn all we have to learn from that which at least as we can certainly say, is symbolic. What, what this is symbolic of is the promised resurrection from the dead. Because this is not the promised resurrection from the dead. It can only merely be assigned to it because Eutychus is not alive today. And Eutychus, did, he did die. Um, and, and, and so this miracle is only pointing, is only a witness to the even greater miracle that is promised to God's people of them rising, the resurrection of the dead. And that's why Luke also probably records this, is to make it clear that this is a, this is a truth um, that Christians affirm, that one day the dead will rise again. Um, and we saw it, we saw among us, Luke says, that this is not impossible for God to do. It's something that Christ can do. Um, among his people. So that's, that, that's what is happening here. And the fact that we feel the need to spiritualize things or see something deeper or more insightful here is, is more um, uh, revealing of our, our failure to actually ponder. And I, and I understand. I think there's significant limitations in just our humanness. But our, our, the, the, our failure to ponder just the wonder of Christ's resurrection power and the promise of the resurrection. We don't probably don't think about it enough. We don't find the comfort in that truth that we ought to. And so we can't see on the face of it just the story of Eutychus and read it with a certain longing. One day Christ would raise us, raise us also from the dead if we sleep 
right? That's how the New Testament says it. If we sleep, and if we sleep the sleep of death, one day Christ will raise us up also. It's a great tenet of the Christian faith. Um, but let me, uh, let, let me take you through some of the, the details in the text. And one, one of the things you notice is that Luke is saying, and this is, the, this is the great thing about the book of Acts, Luke is saying that this demonstration of the Spirit's power, this demonstration of God's power, happens in the context of this lowly gathering of God's people, just in the church, right? Although these great miracles are happening, it's not happening, you know, a few passages ago, we read about these folks who came from, they were Christians, but they seemed to, they seemed to still retain some of their pagan concepts. And, and when they were, after they repented of those things, they, they burned all their, their magic books, right? These great, because they, were, they, they still longed for signs and, and, and wonders, and so they, they, they thought to retain this element of, 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 of their former religion. But they, they, when they repented, they turned aside all those things. And in the church, when these great miracles are happening, when Christ's power is being demonstrated, it's not, there's, no, there's no great um, there's not, it's not, there's no great show put on. They don't have to, it's not, we don't see a lot of incantations in this chapter. We don't see magic books. We don't see, um, uh, we, we don't see um, a, a lot of paraphernalia. We, we certainly don't see any kind of divination. There's just a simplicity about the place where this happens. The place where this great display of divine power, and it's the greatest display of divine power, the greatest display of power that you'll ever see is the raising up from the dead. To raise one up from the dead. And the Bible tells us that the same Spirit of God that raised Christ up from the dead is with us when we gather and will raise up our mortal bodies. But that great display of divine power is happening in the context of the simplicity of the early church. Notice then, notice how Luke is keen, he keenly tells us the details. It's on the first day of the week, verse 7, when we were gathered together to break bread. This is just a straightforward picture of the early church. Not a lot of gimmick, not a lot of glamour. None of these things are needed to display Christ's power. None of these things are needed for these people to be the people of God. They are just the lowly servants, children of God, who gather on Sunday. They gather on Sunday, um, on the first day of the week. Why? Everything points indicates that it was in honor, in recognition of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, thus in anticipation of their own resurrection. And so they gathered on the first day of the week. And that puts to, to, to bed... Well, this and other passages in the New Testament puts to bed any suggestion that the Sabbath, for example, is to be the ongoing practice. You know, there's some Christians today who, who sadly have fallen for that um, error, that they should obey, they should try and obey the, the Sabbath as it was written in, 
in the Ten Commandments. So as is written in the Old Testament, so they say we should meet on Saturday. But you're ignoring quite clearly the practice of the first church who met on the first day of the week. Why? Because, number one, they were no longer bound by Moses' law. So they didn't need to obey the Sabbath laws as it was written in the Old Testament. And secondly, because it, it behoved them, it was more appropriate for them to bear witness if they were to choose a day at all. Even though no day was necessary for their meeting, they could meet any day, gather together, and know that Christ was with them. But if they were to choose a day, it should be the first day of the week when Christ rose. And we should bear testimony to that. In one sense, we bear testimony to Jesus and not to Moses. Or we bear testimony to Jesus who fulfills Moses. Neither is, are we to be to, to say that this was some kind of, um, uh, this was not a Sabbath keeping in any form either. Some Christians say, oh, Sunday is, our, is, is like the, is the new day for the Sabbath. And so they keep the Sabbath according, they keep the Old Testament Sabbath, but on a New Testament day. So on Sunday, they don't work or they don't, um, uh, they don't buy. There's not an ounce of scriptural evidence for that, right? You, you're, you're bound to fall into some kind of legalism when you act that way because there's nothing you can base that on scripturally, those kind of practices. Nothing about this says that. Right? The first day of the week, but Paul was with these folks the whole day till the very next day. So it's not some kind of Sabbath keeping in the slightest. Um, this was just the free, the, the liberty um, of worship that these folks have who worship God in spirit and in truth, not choked by any traditions, but just gathered together. These are God's people. Wherever they meet, there's a hymn that says, Jesus, wherever your people meet, there they behold your mercy seat. These are just God's people on the first day of the week. They didn't have a church building. They didn't have a fancy church building. I've seen Christians almost condemn themselves to heresy because of how one person does their church building. They say, oh, you've, you've, you've modernized your church building. It doesn't look like a, like, a, like, a, like a typical chapel anymore. And I've seen folks write books and articles on this and how this is the sign of the great, um, great departure or the great heresy. Well, maybe these folks, then surely the first church, where they... Were they marked by great heresy or, or, or great departure from the faith? Of course not. They didn't have no official, traditional church building. They didn't care for that. They were in a room. What matters, as I was saying this morning in my sermon, they were gathered together. Just God's people, two or three gathered together. I'm sure it was more than that in this instance. But the, you, you can't miss the simplicity. There's no need for dra drama. It's not a performance. It's not a show. I'm all for order in the house of God. We should have order. We should have, you know, we should, be, we should have order to, to make sure that we can be focused on worship and so on. But friends, this is not a show. What matters is that we're gathered together in Jesus' name. I don't want to criticize or condemn anyone, but this is not a show. Sometimes you see churches, it's like, they're, it's like they're, 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 their role models is like the Grammys. They're modeling after the Grammys or modeling after... Um, some, some TV show. They want, they, they want to have that kind of order and everyone is bothered to do things as though we were putting on a performance. We're not putting on a performance. We're God's people. We're gathered together. What matters the most is that we're gathered together to break bread. What's, what's that? Most likely in this context, it's, it's 
It's the Lord's table. Probably alongside, you know, every indication in the early church suggests that they would eat together and in the midst of that, there would be um, the Lord's Supper. They would take also the Lord's Supper, that special meal. But that was what characterized them. These people who believed the promises of Jesus and so took bread and drank wine as symbolic of the body and blood. They just obeyed the words of Jesus. They gathered together to break bread. Paul spoke with them. What else? What, what is that representing of? Preaching. That's what they had. They gathered together and they listened to God's word. And they, they thought through God's word together. Um, uh, but Paul prolonged his speech. It's a long speech. You see, there's no, in this case, there's no formal liturgy. Like, it's, it's, it's good, it's okay for us to have order, and we do our services the same way. But can you see how this, these first people of God gather? You don't need a lot of the things that people suggest that you need to be the church. You don't need a pulpit. Pulpits are fine. I'm happy, I'm okay here. You don't need a podium. That's, we can't be wiser than God. You don't need pews either. You could be a church if you're all sitting on the floor in one circle. And I, I, it's important that there are men who are called to teach and preach the word, but I don't know that the style either is dictated to us. Right? Paul used variations of styles here. No doubt he explained and spoke, obviously, because um, uh, Eutychus fell asleep because Paul just kept on going. But there was also no doubt that I'm sure there was times when he asked questions of them and he conversed with them, as, as Luke later says. This is the simple gathering of the church, brothers and sisters, studying the words together, being encouraged by God's word, being charged to press on. And yet, maybe even more uh, um, reflective of the simplicity of this gathering was what happens to Eutychus. One, Luke tells us that Paul went for so long, and it was understandable of Paul. The reason why he had to go for, he went on for so long is because he loved these people so much, and he was leaving them soon. But everything that happens to human beings and things that occur naturally to people, when folks go on for so long, and commentators have suggested that maybe Eutychus hadn't been able to eat either, this young boy, and he was young. He was, he was losing energy, and he got tired, and he fell asleep, and Luke doesn't rebuke him for that. Luke doesn't say, Eutychus, who was not spiritual enough, or Eutychus, who was not deep enough to rejoice in the mysteries of the gospel, fell asleep while Paul, of all people, was speaking. No, he fell asleep. Paul went on for too long. Paul had to go on for too long, but he went on for too long, and this my man started snoring and fell, fell asleep, and he was just... And they're just, because they're, not, they're actually human beings. And we don't need to pretend like when we come into church, we're anything but human. We're human. And we take that into consideration. And we're natural. And we have desires and feelings and emotions. And it's important for us to, to think of that when we gather. We're still in this body. And there's nothing, in one sense, there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. And we don't pretend... Like we're not, and sometimes, you know, Christians come to church and they do fall asleep. Now, it's good if you can get rested enough so you can pay attention to the Word. You're not going to get, get anything from the Word if you're sleeping. 
But you know, sometimes you do fall asleep. Sometimes you, had a, had, you have had a long week. And it's much better for you to be with God's people and sleep in here. I'll tap you. Someone will tap you after and say, bros, you're in Luke 15. It's better for you to do that than to stay away from them. We will understand. You're human. It's natural. It's these people with longings and desires. We natural people who know the display of Christ's power. It's in this gathering of the humble without the glamour, without the gimmicks, just the name of Jesus, and yet the great power of Jesus Christ to raise the dead is demonstrated. And as it was true for them, so it is true for us. In our humble gatherings, where we don't have much else, we're not trying to pretend to be on the level of the UN or, or, great, or these worldly great assemblies when we gather. We don't have to try and do that. It's in these gatherings where all we have is the word of God taught, where all we have is God's people in fellowship, where all we have is a communion table. It's in these gatherings where we seem so normal. We don't have a, a necessary heavenly uniform. We're not wearing angelic robes. And we're not all in the spirit as though we were seeing things as though we, we, we didn't have natural bodies. You know, we're not all in a trance. We're just right here. And some of you are having to pull yourself and say, I need to concentrate. And some of you are going to drink water to keep yourself focused or whatever. And you're here present with God's people just gathered together. It's here that Christ's power is displayed. It's among those normal people. It's here where Gabby and her children are disturbing me. It's here that Christ's power is displayed. It's right here with God's people. It's here, it's here that we are, we are to believe for great things. It's here that we're to believe that Jesus is with us and so not to take these things for granted. It's here that we are to trust that Jesus Christ can show forth his power in our lives. It's here we are to believe that God's people will be restored and healed, uh, that God's people's faith will be strengthened, that God will keep his people. It's here that we are to believe that the kingdom of darkness will not prevail. It's here, it's here that new life, men and women become new creatures in this place, not through gimmicks, not, not through activity that is not required by the scriptures. It's just in our gathering. We proclaim Jesus. We pray to him. Sometimes it doesn't even feel deep. Sometimes it doesn't feel heartwarming. Sometimes you don't get butterflies. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're not very emotional. Sometimes you are. But it's, it's here that Jesus is at work and that we're to come expecting. We're to come hoping. We say, here from the world returns, Jesus to seek. Fill this hallowed hour with joy divine. It's here in the simplicity of God's people. And, but I can't help but think that Luke wants us to learn that, that same Jesus in whose name Eutychus was raised from the dead will finally raise us from the dead. Surely Luke wants us to lift our eyes from the temporary resurrection that Eutychus experiences, which is not always going to be, of course, obviously, that's not a constant, that's not a promise 
for every Christian. I'm not saying God cannot raise from the dead even today. He can. I'm saying there's no promise that he will. I'm saying everything indicates that he very often does not. From, from temporary death to temporary life, which is what Eutychus experiences. God doesn't often do that miracle. But surely Luke wants us to lift our eyes to the even greater miracle that is promised to us that one day we will receive resurrection bodies, that this mortality will put on immortality. We will not all sleep. Not all of us will even die when Christ returns in the twinkling of an eye. A trumpet will sound. We'll be given our new bodies. We will know something far greater than you took us ever experienced because we will not die again. We will finally see death overwhelmed and overcome. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? We will finally see that. We believe in the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters, if you cannot believe that, you cannot be a Christian. If you cannot believe that, you cannot proclaim the gospel. You cannot teach Jesus. You can't preach Jesus. If in this life alone we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most miserable. If, that's, if we don't believe acutely in this, if we don't truly hope and expect this, if this is not our great consolation, purpose, and focus in life, that one day Christ will raise us up from the dead, then let's pack up and leave. But I'm not going with you because I believe. But go. You can't stay here. You have nothing to do here if that's not what you believe. There's no Christianity outside of that. If we are ashamed to say this, then we must be ashamed of the gospel. And when we tell people about Jesus, we must tell them that the reason we believe in Jesus is not just because he washes away our sin. It's not just because he makes us feel like we are whole again. It's not just because he makes us holy. It's not just because he makes us righteous people and we do good things. It's not just because he teaches us to love our neighbor. It's not just because he gives us a deep joy. All these things are true. It's not just because he gives us peace. It's not because, just because he watches and protects us and provides for us. All these things are true. It's not just because he hears us when we pray. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He heals our diseases. All these things are true. But we must also say that the reason I believe in Jesus is because I don't want to die. And one day when death comes knocking, Jesus Christ has promised me I will only sleep. He will raise me again from the death. And so now, I don't live in fear of death. And if you come to Jesus, he will give you eternal life. And that's an eternal life that absolutely begins now, but it's also an eternal life that means you will live in a real body, a spiritual but human body, if you want, in the world to come. This past week or so, I was thinking to myself, it was a strange thing. There was a series of celebrities 
who died. It was just strange. I think from like the last few days of December up till now, and, and even just yesterday or two days ago, I remember another sports, um, sports football player who, who passed away. And I was thinking, there's, there's a few celebrities have died. And I don't know why we often just don't think celebrities will die. I don't know why that's in our mind. We, we see them as beyond death um, sometimes. But, you know, a few of them died, and it struck me. You know, everyone goes to the grave. Death is no respecter of, of persons. And um, one of the, maybe no one was, in fact, there was no one more famous who died in the recent week than the great Brazilian footballer Pele. No one was uh, greater than Pele. Pele died, I think, the last few days of December. And then his funeral, a few days afterwards, um, there was a funeral procession for him in Brazil, Santos. And this, I was seeing this on the news, and thousands and thousands of people just wanting to get a last look at the great man, wanting to touch his coffin and, coffin and pay um, their respects. And it was a great man. And someone said, this is the king. This was the king. And I'm sure there was, there's been kings in this world who have not had such a funeral. And I, saw, and I thought then, I thought, look at great Pele. And I will never know, I could live three more lives and not know anything of the greatness this man knew. Look at great Pele. And he's a king indeed. But death has conquered him. He was a great king, yes, but if this is all there is to it, what kind of king is this? It's a king. And I'm not saying this is true for Pele. I don't know Pele's soul, but I'm saying he, he, he would just be a king that lost the final battle. There's only one king who is king of kings. There's only one king who, there is no funeral procession for him because his grave is empty. And death couldn't hold him, and he's alive. And I lifted up my eyes from King Pele to the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he has promised you and he has promised me that we will be where he is, and that he actually rose from the grave, not because he ever needed to die in the first place. He rose from the grave because he died for us, and so that the life he now lives we might share in, and I rejoiced and I was consoled about life by looking in the face of my resurrected Savior. And this same Jesus who rose, who, by, in whose name Eutychus was raised from the dead, will one day give us eternal life. And brothers and sisters, this is the reason for our lives. This is why we live with joy. This is our great consolation. Death will not have the last word. And you know, this is how this section of Eutychus, this is how it ends. He's raised from the, back to life. They take him back upstairs. You know, the, the folks, they, they, they breathe a huge sigh of relief. Somehow they have the composure to finish off their fellowship. And Paul continues speaking. And the Bible says this. After all of this has happened, they finish the service and Paul has to leave. They took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Luke says they were so comforted by this because they, they thought they had just seen this young child die in front of them, this young boy die in front of them. And God did this miracle and it was for their comfort. They were so comforted. You see this in how Paul heals the child. Paul goes down to him. He bends over and takes him in his arms. And Paul 
I, I, I wonder if Paul is not symbolic of the tenderness, the, the tenderness of God's arms upon us. The, the point I'm making is this, that this was for God to comfort his people. God is able to comfort his people. And that is what our hope in the resurrection does for us. It gives us comfort. Even in the face of death, God wants to comfort his people. And that's what we must learn. We are not going to be free from trials in this world. We won't necessarily be free from tragedies. This was a tragedy that happened in the very face of the church, right in the middle of service. And that can happen as well. That's happened to Christians before. In the middle of service to experience such great tragedy. We're not free from that because even though we're the church and we're, our citizenship is in heaven, we're, at, we're still here on earth in broken, dark, satanic earth, if you want. The God of this world is Satan. I mean earth in that sense. And because we are here, we're always going to see great tragedy. We, we always see tragedy. Sometimes it comes, it's right in our, in our door. Sometimes it's in our neighbors. Either way, it's tragedy and we see it and we mourn. But we sung tonight that God will hold us through the night. God comforts his people. He's able to comfort us. Doesn't matter what we go through, he's able to comfort us and assure us that he loves us. He is able to comfort us and assure us that he will not forsake us. He is able to comfort us and assure us that nothing will shake our hope. And so, friends, uh, we learn from this story tonight um, that uh, just like this first church. We are uh, also a people who have nothing but God's word and God's truth. That's all we're armed with. But we have this great and mighty hope. It's the hope in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.